0: Great teams have a code of very constructive behavior if they're a really good team. And they rely on each other. They count on each other. And they hold each other accountable. And when you start to have this fragmentation because of these underlying issues between people, then the whole foundation of that kind of code that makes for constructive working together just starts to crumble.
1: And examples from some of my work over the last few years, coaching the CEOs and leadership teams of some amazingly successful tech firms. The Melting Pot is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way to help you build a highly scalable business and realize the potential of your life's work. If you enjoy the episode, head over to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast to find today's show notes and more editions of The Melting Pot. While you're there, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can pick up a copy of my new book plan B, how to scale your technology business faster, and achieve plan A. Enjoy. Hello, today I'm talking with and learning from Doug Bowie. We're talking about Doug's fascinating book called Fixing Fractures. So Doug, in a former life, Doug had a successful law practice. And later in his career, he became a Vistage chair. And he is the holder of the Don Cope award which is the number 1 award for Vistage chairs in the world and he's the only the second non-american to be honored like me he holds that gazelle's international qualification what's now scaling up he's a master coach and as part of his vintage chair life Doug came across this facilitation technique to fix fractured relationships in business and in life. And so often people find it difficult to solve problems. Somehow we find ourselves with a breach of trust, breach of contract, breach of competence. We believe one of our colleagues isn't competent. And it grows like a sort of a inverted pearl in an oyster or stone in your shoe. Or an, and people end up moving away from those relationships. People change companies. It's like but if business is a team sport, it's like taking the field to play football with only nine players against the opposition, because some people on your team have a dysfunctional relationship. Often some of the clients we work with, many people on the team have dysfunctional relationships and they show up in a load of different ways. You know, are you in a meeting where we have to have minutes with actions because otherwise people would breach the our trust and would not be accountable for the things they say they would do, breach of contract? Do we have to put in place a whole lot of systems to measure and monitor people? Or in meetings, do people get the phone out and just start doing WhatsApp or email and completely destroy the meeting flow? These are all breaches of trust and bad behavior. And so Doug's written this fantastic book, which he says, how do we facilitate teams to overcome, or at least the individuals, the pairs in teams to overcome these breaches of trust? And how do we use what he calls the magic five? And we get into that in our conversation. To overcome them, one of those might be an apology. How do we get people to understand the issue, dig in it deeply enough, and then offer maybe a sincere apology so that we can move on and transform the lives of the two individuals involved and potentially transform the performance of the team and the company? And so Doug has spent a lot of time working in large organizations, facilitating this process, having really big, high impact conversations with people. This stuff's hard. Somehow we are, we find difficult conversations difficult and people will come up with all sorts of reasons why they're not relevant or we can work without having to do it. But this is tough stuff. And Doug has a methodology that helps organizations get into this and build a high performing team. And high performing teams are really rare. There's a piece of work from McKinsey looked at drug development in pharma. 85% of the teams thought they were above average. So that sort of groupthink, team delusion. The top 1% were 10x better, 10x times the average. And the next sort of two, three, four, five were 5x the average. And so, High-performing teams are really rare. And I think this sort of team cohesion, team performance, you know, the strategy, the idea, how do we execute it? All the other frameworks are great, but if you don't have a high-performing team, you'll probably be an average team with a good strategy with average execution, and you'll just be average. So a really interesting conversation with Doug. I enjoyed it immensely. I'm sure you will too.
0: Hi, Tom. It's great to be on your podcast. Doug Bowie, author of Fixing Fractures, Restoring Shattered Relationships in Business and in Life.
1: Why this book?
0: Well, I was trained in this methodology by John Constanturos, who is a legendary Vistage Chair from the San Diego area. And as far as I know, John did not teach this to anyone else. And he and I practiced it uh, over many years of consulting and it was, I thought, incredibly uh, in, impactful. So I felt that in this latter few years that I've since I've left active consulting and left uh, the chairing for Tech Canada, I thought, boy, I better get on with getting this material down because I think people need this and it should not die with me. And John has already unfortunately passed on.
1: Oh, fantastic. So what's the challenge that you're addressing here?
0: Well, people have differences with each other and, you know, some can call them everything from rifts to feuds to just they're at odds with the person. And what I find is that the difference usually starts with some kind of unfortunate remark or unfortunate situation that people regret later. And it just never gets dealt with, never gets healed over. And it's like a stone in your shoe. It keeps getting worse. It makes blisters. You start limping. It's not a very not a very good scene. And so many people just go down that slide of alienation and end up being really at odds with another person. And sometimes this happens, as you know, in business where we've got people who are heads of divisions, and they just don't get along. And and the problem is they've had this incident, some kind of an incident between them that has fractured them.
1: Do you think that you said the other person often can regret it? Do you think it's possible for the other person to have no idea? Oh, yeah. That they've created this some slight?
0: Yes, I think that there are things that seem very incidental to the person who've said them. And to the other person, they're devastating, and it's just because they've got a. We talk in the in the book about bruises, that people have sensitive points of contact, and you can't know that as another person. But it's pretty hard not to notice the cascade of alienation.
1: Oh, you can see that. i have just. I was thinking about a personal example. I, which i hadn't been thinking about before where we we've been chatting for a few minutes before we were recording but then as you said it i just thought something just let back in my mind and i'm thinking i remember this phone call and i remember that and even now 20 years later I, and this is a conversation i've never had with that person but it set our it set our relationship off on the wrong foot from that moment onwards and I've never mentioned it to anybody but still it just the conversation just triggered it like it was only yesterday so you yeah, that whole stone in your shoe weighs heavily
0: it does and you know it 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 sits in our conscience and good people have a real conscience there are some people I'm not so sure they have a conscience there are you know sociopaths who don't seem to have a conscience but most good people really are troubled by these things and, you know, they've tried to paper it over. They've tried to forget about it. They've tried to move on. And it, it really doesn't work. It sticks.
1: Well, it's I I think there's, there's some work by uh, Daniel Kahneman about his sort of peak last theory, which says memory only gets laid down with an emotion. And so that that whole somebody slights you it has a real visceral impact on you. You can never forget it because that's a memory that's now seared into your brain and, and. The other person may or may not know that they've done it to you, but you can't forget it because of the powerful emotion attached to the memory.
0: Yeah, you can't let it go. And it becomes like a seed that builds a, an inverse pearl. <laughs> it's something that people just seem to be willing to do an unlimited number of deviations in order to avoid dealing with it. That, that the creativity of people to avoid coming to terms with these things. You and I were talking before the show started, and that is uh, about business that these skills should be taught to people. You know, everyone should have these skills because we are dealing with differences with people all the time. They should recognize this cascade of alienation and start to intervene early rather than let it harden and ossify into a real rift. But that often tends to be what happens. And there are significant consequences, as you know, from your business experience in the lack of collaboration, the lost opportunity, the low morale it's a terrible toxic business
1: millions of pounds millions of dollars every day being lost because that you know performance of teams business is a team sport and you know you wouldn't play soccer you know you wouldn't deliberately go on the field with nine players against 11 you'll lose and yet people do that all the time it's like oh there's a thing that we should do for the business oh i'm gonna have to talk to fred about it oh let's not do that yeah
0: (laughs) Or you've got two players over in the corner carping at each other while the ball's going up and down, you know?
1: Ah, I don't know what the evolutionary value is, but we seem as human beings, is it? Are there cultures where it's easy? I don't know. But we seem to be wired to avoid difficult conversations or conversations that we, before we had them, make us feel uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. And afterwards, we feel absolutely transcendent you know people say this all the time god i feel like a, a huge weight has been lifted off my shoulders so before that they were carrying that weight <laughs> and, and and you know really for no reason other than if you're talking about what are the origins of this in psychology i mean it's it's clearly ego protection you know the person is just trying to protect their sense of of No, I was right. This was appropriate and correct. What I did, or they—they construct skeins of defensive postures and walls around these issues to avoid taking full personal accountability for what happened. So you
1: were saying earlier, you this was all sort of, as you said, John developed this theory through practice rather than. So you know, it it was this was a hands-on approach that worked, which he developed over time and then taught you.
0: Yes. Because I, I I used to do this as a tech chair when I met the many brilliant people that we would have coming through to speak. I just would say to them, I want to learn what you're doing. <laughs> and so I kind of accumulated a repertoire of these skills. But this one that John taught was, I thought, the most important. And he and I formed a bond because we understood each other when we were running these workshops. And it it the workshop was... A team building workshop that's what it was called, but it was the team building workshop that people never forgot B- because it it was so simple I mean you know we just the, the the idea is well, if a team is fragmented that's because people who have are part of that team had issues with each other they've collided with each other they've had a breach of trust with each other, and they've never resolved that and so that has built this kind of fragmented team it's not a team it's just a working group. Yes. That's all it is.
1: I bet there's some people who turned up in your team building workshop who wished they had never got that invitation.
0: (laughs) Not nobody afterwards, but before or during, yes. (laughs) Because if you resolve these things, it's just the, the, the goodwill and the vision in the organization just starts to flow. It's almost automatic.
1: So what's the best way to get into this then? Is there some theory we should talk about beforehand, or should we talk through what does the workshop look like? And I'll pick your brains as we go through. What's there?
0: Well, the first thing that kind of tripped me off was the fact that you'd stumbled on an incident yourself. Ah, that
1: you're going to do this to me in real time. I'm not sure I'm up for that.
0: <laughs> maybe if you want to. But you know, that is so central to getting value from the book. Because if, if people treat the book or the upcoming video course that we're working on as just information, well, sure, it's good information. It's 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 valuable. But it's not until you take it and apply it to a real situation that you start to really get into it and notice what it can do. And, and every step you take along the way to resolving one of these issues is a constructive step. So it's None of it is wasted.
1: So what do you what do you do in a workshop when you're or maybe maybe the best thing to do is to think about the structure of the book.
0: Sure. Well, we say that in, in the book, first of all, there is a step-by-step protocol. So if you want to know how to do this, there is a eight steps that you undertake in an orchestrated, scripted conversation. This is not something that you just sort of sit down and say oh, hi, I thought I would just talk to you about this horrible situation that happened two years ago because it's not going to work. So we talk about the coming together of four elements. One is this protocol, the step-by-step approach. The second is the relationship mindset, which is a particular orientation to the way you're going to hold yourself as you address this issue. Because there are ways to be and there are ways not to be. If you're allowing your ego to run full flood, there's no chance you're ever going to you're ever going to have this situation resolved. And if you don't learn how to listen to other people acutely and openly, you're, again, it's you're not going to make it. And so then the other elements are the flow, which is that this process is orchestrated. It's not a casual conversation. There is a chairman that's the initiator, and they actually lead this discussion with notes. And the notes they do are constructed in the pre-work. So everybody does pre-work before this, just the initiator usually. When we did the workshop, we had both parties that were going to deal with the situation do pre-work. But those four elements, when they are brought together, will underpin the success of the approach. And really, without all of them, it doesn't work. Because as we've been hinting, these are really delicate. They're not just you know, ham-handed smash-and-grab kind of talks.
1: So is the whole group doing this, or are you doing this in a facilitated pair?
0: When we did it in the workshop, we would teach the whole group. We knew what was going on. We knew what the issues were. But we would teach the whole group the context of the book, in effect, what, what you can pick up by getting the book. And then we would bring the most explosive pair, the pair that was most at odds with each other, up in front of the others we would prep them and then we would work their issue
1: okay tell me how you would prep them
0: well we would have them go through the worksheet the prep sheet and the prep sheet can be downloaded from DougBowie.com, or you can get to there by fixingfractures.com as well but the prep sheet is there so that people can download it it's fillable you can use your computer to fill it in or do it by hand and once you've gone through that you're ready
1: say so sometimes I have teams that are all in and want to fix things. I'm just thinking back to one team that I've worked with and one of the guys said, thanks, but I'm just not going to change.
0: <laughs> At least he was honest or she was honest.
1: Yeah, and then wasn't there. Six months later, wasn't there anymore. I, I, But when he made that decision, I don't think he had any idea of the implications of that decision. That He just thought that would be okay. The team would let him be okay. But actually, this was all part of the team deciding that it really didn't want to behave the way it had behaved before
0: yeah because great teams have a code of very constructive behavior if they are really good team and they rely on each other they count on each other and they hold each other accountable and when you start to have this fragmentation because of these underlying issues between people then the whole foundation of that kind of code that makes for constructive working together just starts to crumble you there
1: yeah oh no absolutely I, and I think I mean quite often I'll even just getting that code of behavior agreed right because I don't I believe you know you were talking earlier about sort of you know the, the sort of s- protecting your ego and so I quite often see people they think that their behavior is not out of keeping with the team's norm and the team think it's out of order but nobody's pointed it out yet. To anybody so
0: nobody wants to bail the cat
1: yeah so they're all they're all they're sort of dancing around it it's like his behavior is totally out of order so they talk they don't talk about it in the meeting they talk about it in the corridor they bitch about it outside the room in the room there's no conflict and it's like okay so i, I quite often have a ceo say well what do we do about this and i said well what we have to do is you just what is the behavioral framework that this team is now expecting to work towards and sometimes just that getting it all on paper to say this is how we agree to behave i mean sometimes i work with teams and you know a couple of people are on their phone all the way through the meeting
0: yeah so they're doing something else
1: they're not in the room no it's hard on zoom because it's dead easy if you've got a couple of monitors to be you know sneaking off and doing something else but it you know when you've got an in-person meeting and some of the people are just not paying attention aren't in the room and you ask them why and they go well it was meeting got boring or i wasn't interested in like, that well don't you feel like you should say that? So just check to see if anybody else is bored and we move on to something else. And it's like, oh, I couldn't do that. That would be, you know, that would be too disruptive. And it's like, oh, but you totally disrupt the meeting me just sitting
0: doing WhatsApp. Yeah, and that's a breach of trust right there. You know, you have a breach of trust of intention. You know, what are you here for? Well, not this. So now we have something where one party or maybe more are pulling away from common purpose. If we have a full belt of trust, we're all committed to common purpose together. You have this pulling back into, they retract into individual interest. They've got some other agenda or they've got some fear about their competence or they somehow feel that somebody's broken the deal or isn't keeping their part of the deal. There's five bases of breach of trust. But the fundamental is that there has been a breach of trust And the minute that that happens, the kind of the valve of co-commitment throttles down and there's just less going through the pipe. And then everybody else starts to go, gee, maybe I should be doing my personal stuff, too. Am I a sucker? Because I'm the one who is sort of the Pollyanna who sits here and says, oh, no, I'm ready to work. What about you people?
1: Well, and there's, there's a fantastic study, I think it's Stanford, where they get three, well, it, it looks like four students, but it's three students and an actor. And the actor slacks off in different ways in each session, but, you know, puts their feet on the desk, gets out the phone, starts bad the business. And in every case, within 45 minutes, that I- exactly as you say, the team were previously doing some activity and everybody's output goes down to zero because everyone goes, well, what? Why should I do that? Nobody else is working. Why should I? And it takes a certain type of person to work in a situation where nobody's working.
0: And we have soft versions of this too. You know, for instance, there are a lot of. There's so much political correctness going around these days. It's like a. It's like an infection. But you know, that's a way in which people can back away from commitment and mouth all the appropriate kinds of things that they want to be known for and heard and heard in saying. But that's just a soft form of saying, I'm not really into this.
1: And you said there were, I think you said there were five things around breach of trust.
0: Yeah. Hopefully I can remember them all.
1: As I was about to ask you, I thought, I hope he's not going to say, oh, I wish you hadn't asked me. I can only remember two.
0: (laughs) Well, there's trust of contract.
1: Yeah. I said I'd do a thing and then I don't do a thing.
0: Yeah. And it's not the letter of the contract. It's the spirit of the contract. So if if we have to look at the contract, we have no trust of contract.
1: You, I can just hear those people trying to weasel out of it. Well, I said I was going to do X, Y, Z, and I did X, Y, Z, and it's like, yeah, if you didn't really, that's not what he thought you were going to do. You just, oh. go.
0: <laughs> Everybody wants to say, we all know what you were supposed to do, you didn't.
1: Do you know what, it's like some of this stuff, I find it fascinating because I have these conversations, I've got two daughters who are eight and seven, and it's the type of conversation I have with them. You know, they said they were going to do a thing and then they go, then they bring up the letter of the law and that you just go, no, you knew that that wasn't what you were asked to do. You're just trying to get out of doing a thing or they just blatantly lie. Of course, yes, I've brushed my teeth. Brazen it out. Totally. Just like a total lie. And so it feels as though these, some of these things are almost innate in humans and like you've got to learn to overcome them. Anyway, you, so breach, trust of contract. What else?
0: Trust of intention. That means we're here for the common purpose. So if you're not here for the common purpose, we kind of talked about that one, you know, trust of involvement. I'm going to give my complete effort to this. Well, I'm not. I'm going to throttle back. I've got other stuff I want to do, and I don't really care as much as you do about it.
1: So sort of fake harmony. Like I say I'm going to do a thing, but I know full well I'm not going to do a thing.
0: That's a half-hearted involvement.
1: Yeah, enough, bare minimum. Yeah. Quietly quitting.
0: There's a lot of that, I suppose.
1: It just like, it became a thing. It's like just malingering.
0: Hanging on, hanging in, hanging around. You know, and, and, and the idea is that that's good enough. Good enough to collect a check.
1: Not enough to stay if this is going to be your performance.
0: Yeah. I think one more that I can remember right off is, is trust of competence. I think you kind of hinted at that. It's interesting. These things are sort of universals. They're all over the place because of their absence or their presence. But trust of competence is just, do you feel the other person has the skill and ability and the the presence to be able to pull off their part in what we're up to here?
1: This is hard.
0: So if you don't, if you really have doubts about their competence, then you're going to kind of backstop them or work around them. So for each of these sort of gates of trust, there is a corresponding stratagem to kind of work around the idea that that's not there. So, you know, trust of contract, what happens when you've got lack of trust of contract? All sorts of contracts, Mm -hmm. you know, minutes, documents, that kind of thing flowing. So for every one of these gates of trust, there's a corresponding way in which you can detect that it's being throttled back.
1: Uh, Okay. So you can just look at an organization and say, I can see where this lack of trust lies because you've compensated for it in a particular way.
0: Well, we used to do it in a much more direct way because we just go into the organization cued by the CEO who, unlike the the CEO you talked about earlier, really wanted to get to the bottom of this and get rid of this problem with alignment. And we just say, so who's got a beef with who? And, and where did it start? And then we'd go around and do individual interviews and, and people would say, What's your I'd say what's your problem with so-and-so? Say, oh no, I don't have a problem with that. No, I know you do. So <laughs> why don't you just tell me and we'll shorten this interview up a little bit? And they would. So we'd go into the workshop with an inventory of maybe twenty fragmenting incidents between people. And then we'd just start working through them.
1: And so this is the two people up the front. Yeah. And when you say working through them, what are we what are they what are they doing saying?
0: Well, we would designate one as the initiator and one as the VIP. Those are the two roles in the pair process. This is always done in pairs, not multiples. There's just too many things flying around. It's like being in the soccer net and having 15 guys taking shots at you. So you can't be equal to that, but in a pair and focused on a single incident, which is part of the process of getting ready in the book, then at least people can track. And the whole idea is we have this sequence of of topics in the discussion that make sure that all the way through a very difficult question they are able to track with and not fragment when they're facing each other so we just bring them right up to the most sensitive place and when we ask them if we've done this well or when we are when people are working with the material in the book themselves to say are you still here with me or have you gone somewhere else you know, because you got irritated or you got stimulated and, and got distracted. No, I'm still here. Good. That's what we're supposed to do. So the whole purpose of this orchestrated conversation is to bring people up to this very, very sensitive point, whole in command of themselves, capable without being blown away. And when you can do that, then you can approach the most difficult questions and Resolve them.
1: Could you give me an example?
0: Sure. And worked with two brothers. They're going to be an example in the video course. These guys were at opposite ends of an office building and hadn't spoken to each other willingly (laughs) in two years. Okay. And they're at the head of a large fabrication company. Yeah. They're the heads. You know, one brother's the engineering guy, the analytical kind of project manager guy, and the other guy's the charmer. He's the guy who's out there bringing in the projects. And these two, just one of the incidents that they'd run across, these two had felt that they needed better senior leadership. But one brother recruited, found, and recruited a COO and kind of railroaded him in past the other brother who felt deeply that this COO. Was countercultural, and he was right, and that was where they'd broken. So when they did the workshop, we had to go right to the heart of that: what happened, and who needs to take accountability, and who needs to, who needs to get into the magic five. And we often talk—we talk in the book about the magic five because the, these are very old-fashioned ways to reconcile these problems and they're almost always the lack of them is at the root of one of these deeply fragmenting issues so you know what was obvious and it was just a question of whether the, the one brother could bring himself to do it past his ego to do it was he needed to apologize to his brother for doing that
1: and does he know to do that or does the brother who needs the apology need to say what i need you to do is to apologize
0: you know it could happen it could happen a number of ways but one of the things that they, they both need to be aware of, and, well, you know, if you're doing it, if you're leading it, you have to be the one who leads. <laughs> Strange. But, you know, you have to know that apology is one of the things that you must consider offering. And, and you know, a, an apology after a couple of years of having built walls up around this thing, it better be sincere. It better be completely forthright.
1: Well, do you know what? Again, I'm thinking about my kids when they have a fight. You need to apologize. Sorry. It's like, it's just like, no, you're not. Or when I see people at work, you know, they might, it's like, sorry, not sorry. You know, like people, Yeah, as you say, that deliberate lack of sincerity so that it doesn't cost them because they're not actually bloody
0: sorry. No, that's right. And one of the things that this work and this this approach is really developmental. I mean, it's spiritual work. You know, when you come to the place where you can put aside your ego and do what really needs to be done, that's really a, vi- a victory for the human spirit.
1: And so apologies, one of this magic five, What are some of the others.
0: Acknowledgement. Okay. I did that. That hurt you. That really put you out. Amends. What can I do to make this right? It might not be a complete restoration, but it might be a very important symbol. You know,
1: In a totally different way, one of the things that we found when we were at Rackspace, when we did some data analysis, Ruth in the finance team did some data analysis, and it was that if we'd had a service outage and we gave the client a credit for their service outage, they would churn anyway. The thing that made the difference is if somebody rang them up and said, I am really sorry, that we have let you down. We haven't delivered on the promises that we made. What can I do to make it right for you? That A, they didn't want anything. <laughs> they just say, thank you for saying sorry. And you know, the lawyers would have a conniption cause they're saying, oh, you've admitted liability and all this other nonsense. And it's like, but we just found that if we rung them up and said, I'm gonna get, sort out the credit for you now, or I've sorted out the credit and I'm really sorry. What else could I do to make it right? Just all went away, and the customer didn't churn. Absolutely fascinating. Same thing.
0: These are like the real solvents of difference, and and when people try to deal with it through structuring or some kind of elaborate kind of uh, of of workaround thing, it just doesn't get at the heart of it. And until you touch that right into the heart of the matter, it remains unresolved. It just is not gone anywhere. It's just gone behind another layer, another wall. You were asking about other ones in the Magic Five. Forgiveness is the big one. If a person can be forgiven for something that they've done that has really put the other off, it releases the forgiver. The person who's holding the resentment is the person who's carrying the burden. You know that old, that old saying that the resentment is like, taking poison and hoping the other person gets sick. So this is really basic human nature at work. All we're trying to do is bring people to the point where basic human nature can be exerted in its best possible way and the effect of it can help. And once that kind of thing is going on between two people and that's all we're trying to do with this this organized conversation is bring them to that point where they're talking fully, wholly, without reservation, and they're not fragmented or reserved or hurt or distracted in some way. That's the whole sine qua non of the approach.
1: And how often do people not want to do this?
0: Well, of course, if I was facilitating in the room, they wouldn't really... They wouldn't have a choice. Wouldn't get away.
1: They wouldn't, they'd be be there before they knew where they were. But I was just thinking, because you said they had to do pre-work, so I was just thinking, it's it's hard to ambush people.
0: And that's not, that's totally not the idea. In fact, this is exactly counter to an ambush. We don't want to ambush anybody because people who are ambushed are defensive. You know, why would they want to make some kind of constructive approach to a question? They won't. But if they're approached very carefully and concern is Manifest that we don't want them broken. We don't want, you don't want another breach of trust while we're dealing with an old breach of trust, right? So we try to come at them in such a way that extravagant care is taken to preserve trust in the approach.
1: And so is the initial context then that they would be better if this was resolved?
0: I think you and I know that people deeply understand that.
1: Yeah, yeah. But they will try and rationalize. They've spent a long time already often rationalizing why it shouldn't get fixed or can't get fixed or they're a victim or they've been slighted or they don't need to do it. It's the other party that needs to take part or whatever.
0: You've got it. And while you're talking about that, I mean, one of the real acid tests of this is in step four of the the protocol, which is, and this is one of John's great innovations, that the initiator should take 100% to zero percent accountability for the incident having occurred explain that to me so if i'm coming forward to my vip someone that i really care about with whom i'm am at odds i want them to come toward me so that we can resolve this the way that i'm going to do that at that critical point of the discussion is i'm going to say i did this whole thing this Think this incident that occurred that we're focusing on, because we're always focusing on one incident. This incident that occurred was entirely my responsibility. And I'll tell you, I've dug around and I've found out how many ways there were that I brought this about. And I'm going to tell you them now. And here they go. And they relate them. One, two, three, four. And I don't leave anything to the VIP. Nothing. I said, no, you didn't do anything. I did this. Now, by this time, the VIP is coming over the table. No, 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 no. I had a part in this. Well, you know, let me tell you how many ways there were that I set this up so that it just had to happen this way. And, you know, what's really interesting is, of course, this is the dismantling of the ego protection on the part of the initiator. And when they do that, they, in effect, take away all the ammunition that the other person is going to use against them. They got nothing left if they've done this right. Now we're just going to have to deal. Does that make sense to you?
1: It does. It does completely. I suppose when you start working with that person and they go, okay, I'm prepared to take, it's partly my fault, but you know this, but but lots of it's the other guy. And then it's like you're coaching them to say, look, you just have to work out. You just got to take a hundred percent responsibility. Forget the fact that you might've thought, or they did, or just just go in, present it as it's all you. All you. And go from there. Trust the process.
0: One hundred to zero. And people really have a hard time wrapping their heads around that, or their hearts around that.
1: That's at the heart of their uh, of the fracture.
0: Exactly. Once we've started to take that kind of accountability, it's sort of like you've got a you know a ball of fishing line between you that's all knotted up. It's sort of like, well, we're teasing out the bits of the line. I'll take this bit. I'll take this bit. I'll take this bit. Well, pretty soon, I mean, ultimately, the way the thing's going to get resolved is if all of the fishing line has been unraveled.
1: Yeah. You see, I can see how that is where you get there with a family business. And I can see what happens in lots of other organizations, which is somebody just chooses to leave. Because as you say, you can't leave the family. You're in the family, particularly the family business. In other organizations, other commercial organizations, I've seen people just think, I'm just going to leave. It's just easier to leave. Than to have these difficult conversations. I'm just gonna play with, play with new people.
0: It's very often the breakpoint, and people construct all sorts of rationalizations and justifications saying, it can't be done. You know, No, they're impossible, that other person's impossible. And when when we were approached with issues, that was often the starting point, that no, we can't do that, they'll, they'll, never, they'll never change. I don't know, that's the usual way we start. If you want me to give you another example, yeah, I'd love to. So here's a good one. We had an organization that was a sports club in a major American city. And the sports club was constructed. It had the organizational structure was it had a CEO and they had two presidents. One was of the golf club and one was of the family, you know, activities club. This was like a premier organization well known in the town. Well, well, What happened was that the board of directors, in their wisdom, the old CEO left. They recruited the new CEO, only they got him from the rival club in the city, brought him in. Six months later, the two presidents, each having divided up the board, went to the board and said, it's him or us. And one person in the board knew about me. He said, you know, would the board consider an alternate? And, and, and they said, what's that? Would they consider the, bringing these guys together as a team? What? Are you kidding? <laughs> They're at each other's throats. <laughs> what about this situation? Don't you understand? And the short version is, they did bring me in, and we did make them into a team. And what we had to deal with was all of the bases on which they thought the other guy was, you know, not worthy. And once they dealt with that, they were on. Huh. And then you can move to real solidarity as a team.
1: Yeah, did you do that? that yeah, that two-person session, was that in front of the board or in front of the leadership team? Or?
0: No, they were just three of them off in a remote setting Okay. working together. Nobody can be in that room that isn't involved, like really involved. Like, I've got a dog in this game, you know, I'm in this fight. I'm, I'm not immune.
1: That's fascinating.
0: Of the trust
1: things, are any of those contract involvement competence, are any of those harder or more difficult? Because if I think you're not competent,
0: how do we fix that? eh?
1: Yeah, like you might just be categorically crap at this, right? Now, I might get the other party to agree with me that they're not very good at it, but I might not.
0: Yeah, you're running ahead to the outcome, you know, which is natural. First, we want to know how do these things turn out? And- the short version is you can't tell from here, okay, because you haven't unravelled enough string to know what really might work in a given situation with two people. Okay, it's it's impossible to know. What don't the other people know about about this so-called incompetent person? A lot. But who knows? It may be that that's the best solution. Is you know, I think. I think it would be better if I just... And you have to watch, this is not an insincere option, because it could be, because we don't want any insincere options. But you know, you could have somebody saying, I'd rather just move on because you're right, I don't feel comfortable here and I don't think I'm equal to the task, so maybe I should go. And that might be the best for all of us and best for me. Well, okay, that's an option.
1: Yeah, okay. Doug, what is it you know now you wish you'd known earlier?
0: Well, I was certainly an innocent when I started off into the book promotion business. I thought all you had to do was write a book and people would come flocking to get it because it was so inherently valuable. And I'm discovering that no, no, it doesn't work like that. But the upshot of that is that I get to have very enjoyable conversations with people like you. So there's a big upside to it, but that's, that's been a real revelation over the past little while.
1: Fab. And so other than fixing fractures, are there any other books in the same genre, different genre, other things that you think, I don't know, changed your life along the way or
0: I'll offer a couple. Fierce Conversations by Susan Scott, who is herself a Tech Vistage chair, longstanding, and and wrote the foreword to Fixing Fractures. So of course I'm I'm indebted to her. But I think that's a very helpful and useful book. Difficult Conversations by Stone and Heenan is a book that is certainly an underpinning of this book. I think it it has added enormously to the ability of people to head into these things and. And if you're asking me about Wild Cards, The Science of Storytelling by Will Storr, S-T-O-R-R, and that book is an absolute revelation, both in psychology and how story moves us along through life. It's just a stunning, stunning accomplishment.
1: I haven't read that one, but I think I've read his other one about status game. Oh, Yeah. Yeah which is very good.
0: He's a real scientist about how people work. And uh, I just think his, his contribution is, is huge.
1: Fantastic. Well, Doug, that has been fantastic. It's been a pleasant and unpleasant trip down memory lane at times for
0: me. I hope you work on the situation that you unearthed.
1: Ah, uh, no, I'm just going to leave it where it is. I'll bury it. I'll, I'll go back in the garden and I'll bury it. <laughs> I've got plenty of other things more recent that need work. That one could stay buried. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today.
0: Well, I hope people get and read Fixing Fractures because I think it can be a great help. Everybody's got differences with other people. So I hope it can be a help that that was the reason it was built. And I hope that it is value to people.
1: Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. We'll see you next week.